This week on A Lively Experiment, the jockeying continues to see who will try to replace David Cicilline in Congress. And should the nonprofits in Providence be contributing more to help offset city services? We sit down with the mayor for his thoughts. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Steve Frias, National Committee Man for the Rhode Island Republican Party. Former State Representative Doreen Costa and political contributor Scott McKay. Welcome in and thank you for joining us this week. I'm Jim Hummel. The list of who might replace Congressman David Cicilline later this year is growing, but who has a realistic chance of putting together a winning campaign? With such a compressed uh, campaign schedule, two things will be critical, name recognition and money. Within a matter of months, that should separate the dreamers from the contenders. Scotty, let me begin with you. You've seen a few campaigns here over the years. Um, first of all, Cicilline leaving. It's been a, we've had a, 10 days to digest it. Surprise to you? Somewhat. Uh, I think he didn't want to be a lifer. I also think that, you know, losing, frankly, to Representative Catherine Clark for a leadership position, I think he saw himself at 61, now in the minority. And he kind of said, you know, am I going to, be here for 10 more years before I have any power. And being in the minority in the House is not like being in the minority in the Senate. Uh, when you're in the minority in the House, you can't really get anything done. I mean, you are really at the behest of the party that controls the House. Even though the Republicans control it narrowly, they still control it. The fascinating thing about this election, if we look at it, is going to be the field work. It's going to be an off-cycle, low-turnout election, I think Steve and Doreen, who have been through uh, this process, will agree with me, where, believe it or not, 10 or 12,000 votes <laughs> could get you a nomination. And it's really fascinating to me that, that you could be in Congress with such a small number of people. So it's going to be... It, the people who you look at are who can turn the votes out. Who are, who's at the top of your list? couple names right now. Uh, I think uh, Gabe Amo is really looking at it very seriously. The lieutenant governor, I believe, is also looking at it uh, seriously. There's talk of uh, Helena Folks, who really did very well mm -hmm. in that primary. Uh, the Republicans, I think if they could, come, if they could clone a Ron Makeley type, uh, moderate Republican, I think they would have a shot uh, just because it's off year and the turnout will be low. And there's a lot of national money, and Congress is so close that if you could get one Republican, that, you know. I'm not sure with CD1 that there's going to be a lot of Republican money coming in. Names coming to mind for you? Well, the first person that you mentioned, Amos, I've never even heard of Gabe him. Elmo, Gabe, yeah. I'm sorry, and, and I'm pretty in tune. I've never heard of him. Sabina Matos, I'm hearing, uh, could we do a push, but Helena Folks is someone to reckon with. I mean, she bought a house, she's buying a house in the east side. That should put the, that's red flags everywhere. She is running, you cannot tell me that she is not running. I will bet the house on this. Also, 
Um, you're looking at Alan Waters, who's given it another try. Now, Alan Waters is a Republican. He was one of yours. Yeah, he, yeah. I mean, he's a Republican, but he's kind of like a blue dog Democrat. I mean, he's not all the way to the left. He's not all the way to the right. He's in the middle. I mean, if he can turn, I, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but the first time I think I ever agree with Scott, it's, it's, um, <laughs> Stop the president. It's, yeah, right. It's going to be extremely low turnout and it's going to be get out the vote. Steve? Yeah, I mean, with Davis and Cellini, it's somewhat of a surprise. It's not that much of a surprise that he decided to leave in that, as Scott was saying, he was basically boxed out of leadership. Yeah. He, he had been yeah. there. He had done his thing for years. And, he and just challenging Clyburn was a big, we talked that about this last week. Yeah. That was a misjudgment. That, was, was, a, that was a bad, bad move. Yeah. And so when he saw, what he, when, he, when he decided to take on Clyburn, it was like he, he basically miscalculated so badly, I think he decided he was done <laughs> and he had to go make some money, I guess. Uh, in regards to the race, um, look, a special election turnout, this is very low on the Democratic side. You're probably talking somewhere between 30 and 40,000 mm -hmm. people. Yeah. This is based on like past special election kind of turnout. General election, you're talking 100,000 maybe in that seat. Um, when, it comes to when it comes to those kind of races, name ID, a strong base of support. Helena, folks, if she wants to get in, she spent millions of dollars. She has a lot of name ID. She doesn't have to do a lot of fundraising. Doesn't does have to do a yeah. lot of fundraising. She could, I think the problem for her getting in is that she doesn't, she's more sees herself as a chief executive rather than a legislative then person. Then number 435, literally, if ba you get there. Basically, uh, having less seniority than Seth Magaziner. I mean, she, I don't think, I don't see that uh, sometimes. Another name I, I you always get talked about is like Joe Sakachi mm. may want to get into this. Now, I think, I, I think, would, I don't think he will in the end because he's more powerful as Speaker of the House and yeah. he's going to be a backbencher in, the, in, in Congress. But yes, this is a race where if you have a strong base of support, whoever gets Labor's endorsement, for example, they would have the inside track because you're talking about a low turnout of 34,000 people. You have seven or eight people running or six people, seven, 8,000 votes. That could be enough to win. And in a general election, yeah, you'd have to do like a Scott Brown for a Republican. You're talking about moderate kind of Republican um, could catch fire, but it's a long shot and it have to, a lot of things have to come together for a Republican. And also really now. quick, um, Joe has over a million dollars in yeah. his uh, almost two million almost two million dollars now because he's had several fundraisers so money's not an issue with well, him. well you have to convert that you, but it's yeah but it's not that big of a deal and my my sorry my problem with if joby decides to come into the race the next speaker would be blaze we used to call, uh, chris blaze Juski. right he's more to the left than tansy is so <laughs> so i mean we we really have to be careful who we put in for speaker if this does happen, it's going to be a cat fight up there if you, Joe jumps in the race. You guys remember years ago when we talked about this last week, the Bob Wagan when he had to move from East Providence to mm -hmm. North Kingstown. Now, nobody's saying, well, Joe Sicarci actually lives in CD2. Now, I know technically that you don't have to live in that district, but what do you think about the optics on that, Scott, if he were to run? I don't think it looks so great. I mean, folks, the thing is, she pretty much grew up on the east side of Providence, mm -hmm. and... I think to Steve's point, though, you know, here's somebody who's looking at an executive job, a big job. If you go to Congress right now, you're going to be having a small, tiny little office in the basement. You're in the opposition party. And unless she wants to do this for the long term, I think Cicilline saw this, too, where you've got two senators, Reed and Whitehouse, who show no... Uh, no look like they're going to actually You think Reed's going to run in 2026? Oh, I think Reed may leave there like Ted Kennedy toes up. Strom Thurmond? 
Clay or Clay, I mean, or, or Claiborne Pell. I mean, yeah. he was there for 36 years. Yes, he was. I mean, I could see Jack Reed wanting to tie that. And Reed, I mean, you know, he is in a powerful position because he's head of the Armed Services Committee, and uh, that's something that he's always wanted. He could have been Defense Secretary had he wanted, but no. He opted to stay mm -hmm. in Congress. Right. And, and re real quick, um, you did say something about moving. The optics don't look good. Don't forget, Seth Magaziner moved. He did. Yeah, but he, he moved did. like about 100 yards. But it doesn't it's, matter. He I think still it's moved different the being in Warwick, some still, guy. We're very moved. provincial yeah. in yeah. the East Bay. He's a West Bay guy. I, I think Seth also had a statewide it was a statewide he, profile. He was, was yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So he had run already in the 2nd Congressional mm -hmm. District in the sense of being a statewide. Well, Joe Sakachi yeah. is a rep in I, I agree with that. And it may be flattering, but I think at the end of the day, who would want to give up if you're really running the show as the speaker? Steve, what about on the Republican side? It almost seems like kind of a sacrificial race, doesn't it? Well, it does. Unless you're going to be able to raise the money and, and, and put yourself more in the center, it's going to be a tough race. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and it's a more liberal district. Yeah. I mean, this district was carried by Joe Biden by 29 points. Yeah. So this is, this is a I mean, this is really difficult, even in the best of circumstances. So you have names like Aaron Gukian out there talking about he wants to do it. We'll find who wants to come forward. But really, for the Republicans to succeed, it's going to take a more centrist candidate. I know you talk about Ron Makeley bringing him back yeah. in some way. But also, <laughs> but also um, the Democrats are going to, if the, the Democratic candidate has to be pretty flawed. Scotty, how much money? It seems like you can get by for, not, I mean, so the national money, I mean, of course, Fun Magaziner was the, the, the house was at stake. This seems like you could maybe do it for under a million dollars, don't you think? Yes, I do think, though, you're going to need a little bit of TV just to introduce yourself yeah. to the voters and get your message out. You need a really good Especially messenger. Especially if you're Gabe Amo. <laughs> That's true, uh, <laughs> although he's from Pawtucket, another good base there. You know, Grebian's thinking about it. I mean, somebody with a base in the East Bay would obviously be the best candidate. But yes, you could probably, I mean, if you can't raise 500000 don't even think of getting mm -hmm. in, I would say. Agree. Right. And those are the phone calls that are going on now, I'm mm -hmm. sure, right? Oh, I'm sure. Because the money talks, right? Right. And the first thing you do is when you want to step up and run for any type of office, it's called dialing for dollars. Yeah, you sit there it. for hours that's and it. hours and hours, and you call people for money. That's a fun part. Isn't it's it? the worst oh, yeah. part. It is the, <laughs> fundraising is the worst part of being in politics, but especially going on a congressional level. Whoever's running is already on that phone. They Final have thought? to be. Final thought on that. Well, you have to be, I think, as aggressive as uh, Gina Raimondo, for instance, was known as. Just a star fundraiser. Oh, yeah. She would be on the phone all the time. Best and said to Preet in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that is true. That is true. And uh, you need to be out there. You also need to pick a good staff. Somebody asked me who's going to win this thing, and I just said whoever hires <laughs> the ground game. Katie Nizambrano, who ran Seth's campaign in CD2. But the ground game is going to be very, very important. Again, to Steve's point, that with a low turnout, yes, you know, with a low turnout off year and nothing else to push it. I mean, no mayor's races, no presidential, yeah. no governor, yeah, nothing else to push this primary. Very low turnout. Yeah, that means you just got to get your people. And the other thing is, it's not just aimed at election day. You're going to have what 20 days of early voting. Exactly, it's a month long process. And now. the mail, the mail's always been important. Well, and it could, and potentially it looks like it could. The primary could roll out, roll out in the summertime. Sure, yeah, which means August primary. So you know, you'd be patrolling Scarborough with your leaflets, right? <laughs> Don't forget you the mail ballots. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um,
Let us move on. The city of Mail Providence. Mail ballots at the lifeguard station. <laughs> there you go. Wouldn't be surprised. The, the uh, city of Providence is always uh, facing uh, financial challenges. Mayor Brett Smiley is putting together a legislative package. He wants to go back to the nonprofits, the, ho- the colleges, the universities, and the big hospitals to get them to squeeze out a little bit more. It's called payment in lieu of taxes, but basically to help contribute, as he says, 40% of the tax base. Um, is tax exempt. I had a chance to sit down with him last week. Here's a little bit of what he told me. Your garbage pickup, your police protection, your fire service, streets and sidewalks, snow removal, that's all funded by property taxes. And and now well over 40% of the land in Providence is tax exempt, which means that 60% of the people are paying 100% of the bills. And that number gets worse, not better every year. So the discussion about nonprofits' contributions to the city services, that's been going on for decades. But you're putting this right on the front burner. I am. You know, this is the year. Uh, it has been decades. It's been exactly 20 years, in fact. Uh, Mayor Cicilline negotiated the first payment for payments in lieu of taxes with the private colleges in 2003. That was a 20-year agreement, and it has now finally expired. Do you, for institutions of higher learning. You got Brown, RISD, uh, Johnson and Wales and Providence College. Do you look at them as a whole or do you treat individually when you come down to actual numbers? So they've decided amongst themselves that they're going to negotiate as a group. We're going to agree on a total number and then they're going to make payments proportional to their institution size. So Brown will pay the majority of whatever payment is ultimately agreed to. I'm not antagonistic towards these institutions. They're really important to our economy, our economy as a whole. And I don't necessarily begrudge them wanting to control their future growth. But if they want to buy a building because they think at some point in the future they may want to use it for institutional use, they need to keep paying taxes on it until such time as they do use it for institutional use. And that's a a piece of legislation that we've now filed with the state that I've told the colleges and hospitals that we have filed and and hope that they uh, will not fight. So Steve, some of his predecessors have tried to use the carrot, some have tried to use the stick. This has been an ongoing thing. Clearly, I think they, they want to come forward. It depends on the number, but it really, I think he's going the negotiated route right now, and it makes sense, I think. I, I think it's, he has to try to do something. I mean, this issue's been going on certainly for decades. I remember when Andrew Ronaldo ran for mayor in 1990, and this was his major issue. A janitor at Brown University. That's right. So He's more in taxes than Brown University <laughs> itself. Right? So, so uh, uh, I tend to agree with uh, Mayor Smiley on the point, which is, you know, it's we make you nonprofit, we give you tax-exempt status because you're providing a service to the public that's like education. But when you're using properties for for-profit purposes, essentially, like a commercial, you're acting like a commercial landlord of some kind, you should be treated like other commercial landlords, and you should pay your share. Um, the only caution I'd give Mayor Smiley about this, of course, is, you know, we're trying to develop a meds and eds kind of concept mm-hmm. here in, in, in Providence, where we have education and med- medical facilities creating economic development. So you don't want to kill the goose that lays the golden egg, so to speak, by going too far against them. And look at what other communities do. 
But I think that he has a very valid point, which is, hey, if, if you're in the commercial landlord business, then you should be taxed like a commercial landlord. And what you didn't see in the interview, and by the way, you can watch the uh, full interview on our uh, PBS, Rhode Island PBS channel, if you want to go to it. We spoke for about 15, 20 minutes. What he didn't talk about was, or reference in the, in the full one, is that uh, Rhode Island Hospital of Care New England, you may have a physician's office that totally private people working in a tax-exempt building. They probably should be paying taxes. Mm. Well, here's my thing. I mean, I agree with Mayor Smiley wanting to do that. However, what is he actually going to do with the money? He talked about police. He talked about the fire. He talked about the infrastructure. The last time I've been to Providence, I think it was last October, November, the sidewalk. You don't get out much, Yeah. Do you? Well, I, I avoid Providence like the plague. It's a dump. The, 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 really, the sidewalks are crumbling. There's potholes everywhere. It is, you, you go into a parking facility, you have to go through potholes to park your car to go see a show at the AMP, the former dunk. I, do, I avoid Providence. No matter, if he does get this money from the nonprofits, what he has to do is everything should be itemized so the taxpayers see where the money is going. The worst school systems in the state, the roads are crumbling. I'm, never, I'm probably never going to go back to Providence until I, I extremely have to. It, it, I don't think that taking this money from the nonprofits mm -hmm. is going to help the state. How many more shootings do we have? We had, we, <laughs> went to read in a straight jacket. We, and her in. we literally had what two shootings in the past two weeks. You sound bullish on the city. I, I sound bullish, but I'm right. <laughs> Prove me wrong. Mm -hmm. Prove me wrong. I you think can't. the I think the east side of Providence is the best and most accessible residential urban district between the Back Bay and Georgetown. Frankly. And I also think that you're wrong, uh, Doreen, about crime. Shootings and murders are way down from what they were 20, 25 years ago. we just have two ago. in two weeks, two in three yeah, weeks? But the, the numbers will tell you over the, the last 10 years, particularly mm -hmm. under Chief Clements. It's, the, it's the, the stuff going on at the mall. It's the carjackings. Mm -hmm. It's some of that stuff that I, I think, think gets I think the, a lot of it, I hate to say this, is... Uh, television news, frankly, <laughs> hyping this up a bit. If you look at the numbers, back when Cianci, the early 90s, there were 30 shootings a year. Mm -hmm. And Steve and I both have lived, when we were younger, on the east side of Providence. Yeah, yeah. And it was a good residential neighborhood, frankly. And I get what the mayor's trying to do. Uh, let's look at the politics of this. Of course... In a city with a lot of tax, struggling taxpayers, uh, they don't. They they look at the Browns and they look at the kids with the New York plates and the BMWs, and they look at the size of the endowment and they think, look, you know, we're paying too much in our taxes, and look at these big institutions. They've got people from all over the world. They're wealthy. They can contribute, and I think that those folks in Providence want to see. A mayor who is at least trying to get out there and get more money from the nonprofits. On the other hand, Steve's got a point. You can't kill the meds and ed situation with a ridiculous amount of tax. Yeah, and I don't think he's trying to do that. I think he's I it's aimed at the land either. banking. It's yeah. aimed at, for example, Johnson and Wales has a Starbucks on that corner mm -hmm. at Chestnut Street, and that's tax exempt. And the, years ago, they said, well, it's because students work there. Well, you know, a lot of students work at a lot of places. So a little bit, it adds up a little bit at a time. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I, I don't think it's 
Mayor Smiley's wrong to say that if you're acting like a commercial landlord, you shouldn't be sure. taxed like a commercial landlord. I think Doreen's point is the larger point, which is, okay, we give you more money, what are you going to do with it? Yeah, exactly. Okay, it's the financial mismanagement of the city over the long haul is quite a problem. Yeah. And, and that's where people say, look, I give you more money, and then you're just going to waste it. Well, some of this, though, he inherited. I mean, you go back and look at the biggest problem Providence has, mm -hmm. which is this existential threat of the ridiculous pension system. Right, right. And you look at that, that comes from the CNC, but he's still, you Not know. Really. From the grave. Uh, from the, mm -hmm. that was yeah. a legacy of CNC, who was the master of using uh, the taxpayers to buy votes by giving the unions what they want. Well, and to his credit, Mayor Alorza would say, we're running a surplus, we're running a surplus, but he has a billion-dollar pension liability, sure. which they never solved. They okay. All, they all say they're running a surplus. So just to reiterate, you can watch my entire discussion with Mayor Smiley. Just go to our YouTube page, the Rhode Island PBS YouTube page. The other thing that came up this week, and this is, as Kathy Gregg in the journal said, this is a every once-a-decade discussion, and it's always kind of theoretical, but it'd be interesting to see whether it actually gets to a practical full-time legislature. So let's begin with the person who sat in that chamber for years. Six years, six years. Six, it only seems like 20, right? Six years in the right. legislature, two years on the town council. I've said this from when I ran, and I will say it now. We do not need 75 legislators. We have 39 cities and towns. We could have 39 legislators represented in each city, each town. There is absolutely no reason for 75. You cut down to 39, you make that full time, the state will save a little bit of money. And they're like, I've talked to a few, well, it's going to be a lot of work. How, I mean, how, you, Central Falls, it's, you can drive that in what, two minutes? You can't represent the people there? You, you do not need 75 legislators, and I have said that for, for years now. So would you endorse a full-time legislature? I would, only if they went down to 39. All right. 30, now, what, 39 President Ruggiero has said maybe 50, 38, and, whatever, 50 38, and 25, 39. however you want to do 38, it. 38, 39, 30, uh, 38. I, I agree 39. with Doreen in that that legislature could be much smaller. But I it mean, would change the composition of who runs, would it not? Exactly. Mm -hmm. But also, I would say, I mean, if you're talking small, you're talking... To me, it's you go down to 13 in the Senate and 25 in the House. Excellent. Um, we don't, no, I agree my, with him. I mean, need the phone booth. I mean, I mean, seriously. I mean, what I, my problem is that we're a small state and we have all this. I mean, all these elected officials. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is, I actually don't believe in having. We don't. This state's problem is not that it has doesn't have enough full-time elected officials. Okay, and full-time politicians. I mean, the problem with the state house is it's a very closed system in some ways. And the leadership controls things and they work closely with the lobbyists and special interest groups and they dictate what happens up there. What we really should be talking about is changing the system, which would be publicly a combination of public financing for state legislative races, so they're not so dependent on lobbyists and PACs for their funding. And then you have some change in the leadership rules and then you have some term limits, so have some turnover. There are people up there, Jim, who are there, who first elected when I was in elementary school. That's a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, that's why we got to have some turnover. Okay. And well, legislatures typically across the country uh, reward longevity, and we all know that. And there's going to be a vacuum of power there, and if you want to turn it over, you might make the lobbyists and the staff people even more powerful than they are now. Um, I'm ambivalent about this full-time legislature with more money because... I think it would be great to have an incentive to get some new people to run. That would be fabulous. And cutting the size of the legislature is probably good. I think it's better now than it was. On the other hand, you look at New Hampshire and Vermont, probably two of the best-run states in New England that both have huge legislatures. Yeah. So 
It's not a panacea for anything. The other aspect here is that if you understand political science theory and just common sense, mm -hmm. you raise these salaries and make it full time, well, guess what? You might end up, in many cases, the political culture decides who's going to win. Mm -hmm. So you're paying 80000 say, to the, the man or woman that you're now paying 16000 to, and they're going to win the seat. And, and it also, you pay, it'll wipe some people out because there's people who make a lot of money. And so if you say, and I don't know how you do this constitutionally, if right. you're a lawyer, yeah. right, and you're a full-time legislator, Hello. does that mean yeah. you can't do anything on the side? I mean, mm -hmm. you, you know, you do a will or a closing or, you know, yeah. whatever. So I think it gets sticky there right. that it's full-time to make it that the person who can get in. But I just think... The devil is in the details. Also, but you like the concept, and you've always been a big fan of term limits. That's always. why you stepped away I twice. I, I, it was on my very first palm card that I said I was going to do three terms in the House, and I did my three terms, and I stuck to my word. However, when you're a legislator, it is not a part-time position. Your phone rings every morning. Yeah. You are emailing people at 9, 10 o'clock at night. Your staff is writing thank you letters. It is a full-time position for most people. I mean, there's some legislators up to there. To do it right, they've been up there forever, and they don't even answer an email. Yeah, well, and, and as I Joe Sicarci said, I mean, he's different because he's a speaker, to, but he said there's no off-season. There yeah. is no off-season. No, you events, you are you are seven days a week, ten hours a day, if not more. All right, let's do uh, outrage and/or kudo, Mr. McKay. What do you have this week? You know, the outrage has to be Fox News. You can't believe that from the top down, these folks have acknowledged that they lied about this huge story about election deniers. And I wonder if anybody can trust them on anything else. I mean, you got from Rupert Murdoch down to Carlson, down to Hannity, down to all these personalities. And privately, they admitted, if you look at the depositions in this legal case against the voting machine people, they admitted that this was nonsense. They probably never thought their text would become public, did <laughs> right. they? Right. They went out on the air and told people the absolute uh, different interpretation of what's going on. And it just, to me, seems to lose all credibility for them. And I wonder why anybody continues to watch, frankly. Steve, what do you have? Um, this is a small outrage, which is this. Uh, David Cicilline got elected to office in November held office for, for a two-year term, held office for about a month and a half, and then decided he didn't want this job anymore, and he didn't want to take another job that paid a lot more money. Now we're going to have this have a special election, cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, I understand when people leave public office because of family reasons, health reasons, or whatever. But when you leave public office to take a job that's going to pay between half a million to a million dollars, and the public gets stuck paying the bill, that's a bit of an outrage to me. And I think Davis is leans to contribute to that special election, to be honest with you. What do you think about the fact that he's delaying leaving till May? Would you prefer Pension. to see him say, let's, let's do it, let's leave? I mean, uh, if I'm leaving, it, let's leave. Uh, to me, if you're going to leave, leave. All right? You're obviously not focused on your job anymore. You're focused on your next job that's going to pay you between half a million and a million dollars. What do you think about that? 
Well, uh, I agree with him 100%. I also think something's up. You don't just win an election, resign. There's something behind the scenes. Let me and, tell and you, Doreen, you're not the only one who thinks that way. What's really happening? What is really right? happening? But um, <laughs> my kudos is going to be to CNN. How's that, Scott? Uh, CNN for reducing, oh Don, reducing Don Lemons, the, the absolute liar, drama queen of CNN. They're putting him on the back burner. And thank you, CNN, for doing that. That's, that's the one thing I agree with. And why do they do that, Doreen? Because he lies. He 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 just lies, and he reiterates everything that he thinks is the truth, and it is not. And well, he, he also he, made some impertinent like, content about women being in their thank prime, you. which I was never is that. a winning argument. So he right? so CNN put him on the back burner, and I am so happy about that. And hopefully, he's got the 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. spot next. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, folks, thank you so much for joining us. Steve and Scott and Doreen, never a dull moment. Folks, if you can't catch us Friday at 6 or Sunday at noon, we are all over social media. Check out our Facebook page. We archive all of our uh, broadcasts at ripbs.org slash lively and wherever you get your favorite podcast. So take Lively along with you in the car or maybe on your walk. Uh, stay with us. Come back next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.